Hi, welcome to Her Wild Side Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Mickey, aka Hockey She Wrote on social media. This is the first episode, so I want to start off by letting you know about my hockey background. First of all, I have never played hockey. I've maybe had a hockey stick in my hand a couple times. I know how to skate really well, but I know hockey because my brother, who was a few years younger than me, played hockey from the time he was three all the way through high school, and I spent thousands upon thousands of hours in rinks all over Minnesota and the upper Midwest traveling and watching him play hockey my entire childhood. That's because in my family, when I grew up, hockey was a love language and still is actually. My parents are devoted season ticket holders to the University of Minnesota's Gopher hockey men's team. And my brother is a half season member with tickets to the wild, which is how I am able to go to some of the games. So Thank you to my brother. Um, And I'm going to dive right in because last night I went to a game against the Columbus Blue Jackets. So I think we should just dive right into the heartbreak that was that game and really try and heal our broken hearts. So first of all, I'm just going to say one of the highlights was that they wore their 78 new uniforms yesterday. And they looked really slick. I know there's a big split about what people think. Yes, it looks like subway colors. Yes, people don't want to be, you know, affiliated with the North Stars anymore. At the same time, they look so good on the ice. And both Gus and Flurry have great pads to go with them, great helmets. And overall, the whole theme looked amazing. They have some really great graphics that they also have been using. Uh, They've used them on social media too. The kind of the Polaroid style, the older style, and that looks really good. So I just want to say, if nothing else, it was a nice chance to see the 78s and really get into them. Now, the game itself was hard to watch. (laughs) Um, And that happens sometimes. It was so back and forth that Every time I would, you know, I'd start to get down and concerned and then they scored and then you're back up. And it was just a hard game to watch. And at the same time, that's a very exciting game. We don't want boring games. So it's not a bad thing. But I will say the one thing, and I am still trying to figure this out alongside all of the rest of you, most likely, is that offsides that they called on Zuccarello's goal with. Johansson saying Johansson was offsides as he brought the puck into the offensive zone. It was so bad that in, in the rink, you know, they show a replay, they try and show what's going on, why they're challenging. It's like they couldn't even find a video of it because they showed kind of a five second clip of something that really showed nothing about why the goal was being called back. I even this morning then was texting my brother. Uh, His name is Mason, so I should probably use his name. Uh, I was texting Mason, and I asked, as you were watching it on TV, because he wasn't with me last night at the game, as you watched it on TV, were you able to see something that we couldn't see in the rink? And he said, no, absolutely not. I have been all over trying to find a clip of it, and there's nothing. And the explanation that I'm seeing is that Johansson says as he was coming across the line, there was a defender and he lifted the defender's stick to kind of slide the puck under. And during that, he was crossing the line also, or like in the, in the midst of doing that. And they said he didn't have possession. 
And I think possession is one of those rules that is so hard to call because what is possession? Is possession you literally have to have it on your stick? Like it needs to be touching the tape of your stick? Is it that it should be, you know, you are in the process of moving it? Because then it doesn't have to be on your stick. Uh, but the the officials in up in Toronto, they said that he was not in possession for some reason as he was crossing the line. I this is kind of the second time in the last couple of games where there have been some calls. And again, uh, roughing is a really hard job. I really want to say that first. Officiating a game, especially at such a high level, such a fast game, it's hard. And it's going to, people are going to make mistakes both ways. But this was one that I just didn't get. Along with, uh, in the last game, with uh, when they said that the, the stick with the Kings, the stick hit the puck. It's one of those things where it's over now. There's nothing you can do about it. But it's very, very frustrating. Now, I will say the Wild did a great job of coming back. Those games are always exciting. You know, you're down or you're close and you come back two goals, tie it up at the end of the third. Of course, it's always hard then to lose in overtime. You, We come away with a point. The Wild come away with a point, which is better than nothing. But when you're home and in Excel and they just play kind of that sad version of the Wild song, that's always like a huge bummer to walk out to instead of cheering and being so excited. And I will say one of my annoyances that I saw at the end of this game, and I'm going to, I'm not, I'm going to try and call some people out here by saying, I don't understand in most circumstances why you leave a hockey game early. I have left like a hockey game early one time. It was because I made the mistake of bringing my kids who were probably a little too young to stay up that late and be out that long. But otherwise, a hockey game can change on such such a dime. You know, just you snap your fingers and all of a sudden a team could score two goals and you're tied up. Um, there were people leaving at the end of the third when it was tied. And I, I just can't. I'm like, how are you? You don't even know what's going to happen. We might win. We might. You have no idea. So. Anyway, that was just something like as I'm watching, it's like part of the stress of all this game against the Jackets. Uh, But I will say, so here is one of the biggest plus sides that I'm going to come away with this game, which is that Gustafson is on fire. He should not have had to stop that many pucks, but he stopped 50 pucks, more than 50. And that is, again, I think he... If he takes over the starting spot, especially, he is going to be in the running for the Vesna because he is just solid. And that's not to say Flurry isn't because actually Flurry has been pretty solid in that this season also. But I just think Gustafson, sometimes they just kind of lean too hard on him. Now, obviously, we have Spurgeon out right now, and this is really showing that our blue line is really thin. And I'm not really sure what we're going to do about that. You know, there really aren't that many... The other defensemen that we have down in Iowa are still pretty young. And that's not to say that they can't play at the NHL level, but I think that would be a really hard ask to take one of them and toss them in. I guess that's, that might just be me. (laughs) 
Um, one thing that I think we could do based on this game, especially is that the top line needs to be split up. Hartman, Zuccarello, Kaprizov, they are not jiving the way that they do at their best. They are just out there. And again, it's, it's one of those, um, a lot of trying for a pretty play, a lot of passing, a lot of back and forth without taking it to the net. And obviously we need them to take it to the net. That's their job. Um, Kaprizov finally scored his first goal against the Kings the other day. So, it, it, you know, it's hard because also I think I read that in five games, he has six points. So it's not like he isn't putting up points, but for Kaprizov, it's, we need to see the net, the goal, the puck going in the net from him. And the only way that I think that's going to happen is if they split up the top line. Now, the hard part is what do you do? Who do you move? Where do you put them? Do you try and keep Zuccarello and Kaprizov together and switch out the centermen, if that might help? Do you move them apart? At that point, what other line do you break up? Jewel Erickson X line, the second line, has been solid. And that mostly comes from the point that it is centered by Jewel Erickson Eck. Eck is consistently the best overall all-around player on the ice. He does it all. And for the most part, anyone you put on his line is going to do well because of him. Even last night, I've seen stats that their line was the best and people were really not sure about putting Pat Maroon up there, but he did great because when you have Eck on your line, I, I don't think you can play bad. Now, so if we keep that line and then we head down to the third, that line has also been playing well together. Rossi, Felino, and Goudreau. So do you break up a few lines that are doing well and try to just scramble everything, just toss it all in the air and just see what lands? Or do you try and be a little more uh, precise with it? I'm not a hockey coach. I don't really know. I, but I do think something needs to be done. Obviously, this will also look different when Matt Goldie is back. They are saying that he and Jared Spurgeon are week to week, but they are also skating. So that's a great sign because we need them both back soon, as soon as possible. I would also want to point out that Dakota Mermis was amazing on the ice last night. He has put up as many points as Jonas Brodine this season. He scored his first NHL goal in two and a half years. He looked great. So, but at the same time, we still, the blue line altogether does not look great. And having Spurgeon there can really help hold them together because Spurgeon's normal partner, Jake Middleton, is really struggling without having Spurgeon around. And I don't know if that's just, he leans so much specifically on Spurgeon because he's been paired with Faber, who obviously is also a really great defenseman. And it's like, he can't lean on Faber in the same way that he does on Spurgeon. So I don't know. It's an interesting thing because when Middleton is, is clicking with Spurgeon, they're really clicking and they are one of the best pairs in the league. This all comes down to just a wait and see, which is really hard because we can sit here and talk about it all that we want to. And we just have to see how things go. Now, 
just earlier today, so this is Sunday, the day after the Blue Jackets game, just earlier today, they sent Sammy Walker back down to Iowa. And I'm a little torn on this. So part of the reason that they sent him down is if they think that he's not taking advantage of his time in Minnesota. And he and he hasn't been as visible as, you know, some of us in Sammy Nation would have liked him to be. But at the same time, the, the Wild itself are having a hard time. So is it him? Is it the team as a whole? Either way, they sent him back down, but they're going to have to pull somebody else back up because they play again on Tuesday. They practice tomorrow on Monday. And the Iowa Wild do not play until Thursday of this week. So it's not like they're sending him back down so he can play with Iowa and come back up. Now, there's been some speculation that they are going to try and pull up someone who is a little more uh, on the tough side of things. So uh, Jujar Kara would be probably the best bet because uh, Sammy Walker is speedy, skillful, but not necessarily one of the tougher customers from the Iowa Wild. So it'll be interesting to see. I assume they will announce that either, I, I mean, probably tomorrow, I would assume. So it'll be interesting to see who they bring back up. Now, I want to back up a little bit. So as I said, my brother has half-season tickets, and we sit on club level. And let me just tell you that this year's in-game experience at the Excel Center is even better than last year's. I feel like it's something that they have been getting better and better every single year. You know, not that it was ever bad, obviously. Uh, the hype video this year is amazing. They actually use Born to be Wild. And let me tell you that that with the light show on the ice and the video, it's just one of those they've been, they put out these videos where you just want to like run through the brick wall afterwards. And as a fan, that's great. And it really gets into the heart of what being a fan at Excel Center really should feel like. Now, I also like they're doing a few other things I've noticed during pregame that I kind of like last night, they were showing the Becoming Wild episode with Brock Faber, which had premiered the week before. That was really fun to be able to watch. Now, I've seen it, <laughs> and I'm sure plenty of fans have seen it elsewhere, either on Bali or on YouTube, but it was nice for those fans who I'm sure don't really uh, come to that side of the wild fandom, I guess I could say. It was really hard to watch him cry on screen after he loses the national championship. So let me just say that was very tough and emotional, but it was fun to see. And so I brought my daughter with last night and she had fun watching that too. And I was, you know, pointing out different parts to her and there's Faber goes to the wild fan fest and we had gone to one of those. And so my daughter was like, oh, is this the one we went to? And Anyway, it was a, a fun change. And the other thing I've noticed is they do the pregame warm-up video on the Jumbotron different. And I really like it because I feel like they're pointing out individual players more than they did last year. You know, they would point out some of the players. But I feel like this year they're really every single player. They're showing, you know, their little like, oh, Jonas Brodeen. Broads, and then they show his little hype video for when he scores, and then they show him on the ice. And it's just a nice way. If I was somebody who didn't know 
the wild and the individual players, that would be a really nice way to be kind of introduced to all of them on the ice. Now, there's one other thing that has changed, and this is something that not all of you will get to experience, which is a, a bummer. But on club level, they renovated the entire club level. Everything is different. There's new food, new drinks. There's even like new furniture. Everything seems to be pretty new. And they did an amazing job. If you have ever wanted to try out club level, I would really push you to try it because this year they have got um, like rectangle pizza, which is probably the best pizza I have ever tasted in my life. They've got amazing nacho place, uh, pajaritos, I believe. They've got a couple of great bars serving all sorts of different beers. Uh, my favorite one has a cider on tap, which is what I get. And the most important thing, and this goes for all levels, is that they have happy hour again this year before every home game. So starting from the time the gates open until I believe it's like uh, 30 minutes before the puck drop, you can get uh, tap beer, tap cider, pop. Uh, rail drinks for uh, $6 this year. And that is an amazing deal. Now, let me tell you, if you see me walking around club level before the game has started and I am carrying two drinks, it's not because I really like cider. It's because I buy them at that price. So I don't have to pay double later. So uh, a nice way to enjoy some drinks and even some food. Cause I believe like hot dogs, brats, pretzels, that kind of stuff is also $6. Now, as for eating on club level, I, again, thank you to my brother, Mason, was able to go to uh, an event that was just for club level ticket holders, where my husband and I went and we walked around. They had all of, like every single new food and beverage from club level available to try. And first of all, there was way more than I thought there would be. I absolutely stuffed myself. I'm not mad about it, but I did have a tummy ache. It was so good. There are burgers, like pot roast sandwiches. Like I said, the rectangle pizza is amazing. They have a new self-serve like beer wall. They have new uh, stilly cocktails and a new uh, Jim Beam bourbon sour cocktail. It was such a fun event. So I'm just, once again, I'm just going to push, obviously, I don't get any kickbacks for anything yet. Uh, club level is a really fun thing to try. So do with that what you may. Now, there's one other event that I did go to on opening night. And I'm going to kind of assume that if you are watching or listening to this, that you have read my fashion critique on the green carpet event that the Wild hosted before their home opener. This event was so much fun. And I'm really glad that the Wild kind of jumped on the bandwagon for this. I've seen a couple other teams that had been doing this. And I kind of was, I wasn't sure when the Wild announced this because I'm sorry, Wild, but you really don't bring it in the fashion arena. Most of them are pretty subdued with their fashion choices. And I really didn't know, you know, are we just going to watch all the players go by and they're all just going to be wearing like black suits with maybe like a colored tie and they're just going to go by and it's going to be boring. It really was not. I feel like almost all of them brought their A game and the ones who didn't are exactly who I figured didn't really care or just 
that wasn't their style. Uh, for instance, John Merrill was one. I loved him. He looked good and he looked kind of like he was taking his family to church, threw on the church suit, and then went to the green carpet event instead. So it's not that he looked bad. Same with uh, Gustafson. And my big thing with Philip Gustafson is that he just looks like some random normal guy. And then he gets on the ice and he is one of the best goalies in the top hockey league in the entire world. But again, you know, his was kind of like a nice, more like a, not a normal Sunday suit, but like a, it's Easter, it's Easter Sunday and I'm putting on my suit to go. Now I did enjoy, there were a couple of people who took, a couple of guys who took a little bit of a risk. We had Pat Maroon wearing a Panama hat and he looked great. Uh, If anyone was going to wear a hat, we kind of figured it was going to be Pat Maroon and he did. Uh, I got to shout out Nordy. Nordy looked great in his, he had a top hat even in a green suit. Uh, he was wearing sneakers and even though they were really cool sneakers and I would actually wear them because they were wild themed. I just don't think they go with a suit. There was also Fleury wore uh, a velvet suit, which is just Fleury to a T. We had, I have to say, and I've noticed that he wears this a lot now. Ryan Hartman, it's not that his suits are, you know, the most out there fashion risk. But what I really like is he's the only one that I notice that wears a tie clip. And he's got these really nice Oxford shoes that are like multi-toned. And it's kind of one of those things where it's an attention to detail that really makes me like it. A little vintagey. I would love to know. Does Ryan come up with it? Like, did he pick out those shoes? Did he decide to go for the tie clip? Or was it his wife? Was his wife like, you know what? I think this looks really good. Let me get you these shoes. You should wear this tie clip. I would love to know. Uh, Just for my own purposes, not for any other reason. I really hope they do an event like this again. Because, yes, it was opening night. But I always love to see it was 4 o'clock on a... October Thursday. And the entire place was packed. It was packed full of fans. That was really fun. It is so fun to see everybody that turns out, everybody who skips work, uh, takes their kids out of school. I have to love it. We're the state of hockey. And it is so fun to see when we show up and we show out because that is a reason why a lot of these players stick in Minnesota. It's because the fan base is so supportive. So now I'm going to transition to something I wrote about this week and that I hope you will read in my article, the Gus Fest commercial. Let's just say that the Gus Fest commercial is the best not weird wild to date. And every time they come out with one, I think they'll never top this. Like this is so funny. There's no way they are going to find something else. That was when Fleury did the the flowers in the hydrangeas with uh, Goudreau. That was the uh, moose last year was like top of the line. Getting Marcus Foligno, like wine mom energy, Marcus Foligno to put on all of his gear, submerge himself in a lake full of seaweed to do this commercial. I thought that is top of the line. Now, of course, Foligno is also in the Gus Fest commercial, because he just, he's got that energy. 
But whoever wrote this, I feel like they took a little a little uh, flick around on Twitter and into the wild Twitter side that not everybody comes to. You know, I always say, so uh, that's kind of the, the vibey side of wild Twitter. There's the hockey knowledge, which let's be honest, we all have hockey knowledge. Uh, even the people who are about the vibes, you know, um, we have hockey knowledge. But we're kind of, there's a segment of us who also like to go on the vibes and talk about, you know, the the Deweys and the wine mom. And we talk about all that kind of a stuff. I feel like whoever scripted this commercial just took a little, a little look around and they were like, this is great content. We are going, okay. Yes. We wanted to do something where we put Gus on a bus because it, it, that part just writes itself. But like, what can we do with that? And they were like, Look at all of this stuff with the Deweys. We have got to get them here. Okay. And Faber. Yep. We got it. We got to get Faber in here. Uh, you know, Felino, he's always down to do something silly. Let's get him here. And, and Boldy would, I just kind of came along, you know, but the fact that it just, the details, I'm going to, the details, the Deweys in their long sleeve polos buttoned all the way up to the collar that was amazing. And I want to know, did the people making the commercial, did they buy these polos or did the Deweys go to like shopping together? And they were like, this is going to be our wardrobe. We are picking out these polos for our wardrobe because I could see either one. Now I was kind of hoping by now they would have released the extras from that commercial because from what I hear, the Deweys had a few lines that didn't quite make the final cut. And I would love to know what those are. I also want to say that this commercial, the best part about it, and the part that some people don't seem to get, is that it is supposed to be very like Napoleon Dynamite. Now, not everyone gets Napoleon Dynamite. People, I understand when people don't think it's funny. Personally, that is 100% my humor. Thank you, Dad. And that is the kind of humor that I enjoy. So, when Brock Faber's mom, who is his real mom, which I love, like I would love to do that if I ever was a hockey mom, I would totally be in a commercial. She comes over, puts his glasses on, and then he turns and they let the film roll for just that extra two seconds, just enough that he almost laughs and you get that sense of awkwardness. And that, that is where the commercial really pulls everybody in. Now, I also want to say, I'm saying that a lot. I'll get to that. Gus driving the bus. I think, obviously, we know the nickname. I'm going to, I'm going to move aside from that. The fact that he is the funniest Swede that we know of. I am hoping at some point they can get Brodine, Eck, Jojo to make a commercial like this because I feel like they would be funny if they had kind of the right material, which obviously whoever makes these videos, they've got a handle on it. But the fact that Gustafson was like, yes, I will do this. Uh, I would love to see how he got on the bus. Like, I feel like he must have, I'm assuming he did not put on the pads until he got on the bus. And then he did, because I can't imagine how you would climb up bus stairs with goalie pads on. That's just me. That's just my assumption. 
But I have a lot of other thoughts on the Gus Bus commercial. I wrote an article, like I said, that came out today when I'm recording this. And I called it my most English major article to date. I, I really just delved into uh, critiquing, tearing apart every little bit and, and going further into it. Let's back up a little bit in time here. I was a little fashionably late to making my podcast this season, and that's okay. I'm going to back up to the home opener. I was lucky enough to be able to go to the home opener, and one of the most incredible things that they did, and if you went, you'll know, they handed out these little towels. So, you know, like the little towels that you wave around, but these ones had lights around the outside of it. So you'd push a button and the lights would come on and you could, you know, they had different speeds, like high speed, slow speed, and then just kind of on and off. And when they started doing the hype video at the beginning, they had everyone turn on their towels and there were some with red lights, some with green lights. And I think there were some with just plain like white lights. It was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And I've been in the rink for a couple of special things. I also, it's uh, very akin to Hockey Fights Cancer Night when they ask for a moment of silence and you everyone turns on their phone cameras. That's another time where it's just an incredible experience. That one's a little more solemn. This one was just excitement to the extreme. Everyone is waving these towels around. There are lights everywhere. Everyone's screaming. It's such an atmosphere. Again, the Excel Center is unmatched. And with that, I'm looking at my notes here. Uh, I need, I'm a little jumpy around here, but that's okay. So I'm going to go back to the defense for just a minute because they need help. And I just, I cannot come up with, besides having Spurgeon come back, people have been saying that it's kind of like we have four third pair defensemen right now. And I kind of see why they say that we're not that strong through the blue line. And it's funny because it's one of those things that I feel like a lot of us didn't really realize until it happened. I mean, yes, we all know that on another team, Jake Middleton would not be a first pair defenseman. We just know that it's, it's obvious, but it works. And the hard part is with the wild, a lot of this is kind of how it goes with, with the vibes. It's vibes work. We just accept it. Unless you're a super critical fan, which come on guys. Now Maroon was on the second line last night. Again, this is one of those things that on other teams, I don't think that would ever happen ever. Even with like a salary cap issue, I don't think it would happen, but here it happened and it worked. Now, Rossi is the next one. And I touched on this earlier. What do you do about him? You give him a try on the top line with Kaprizov and Zuccarello and bump Hartman somewhere else. At the same time, you just, Bill Guerin just re-signed Hartman to a nice big paycheck because he is the top line center. And I'm not saying, I actually, I felt like that was a good signing. So I'm not kind of dumping on the contract. But I'm saying he is toted, like he is touted as the top line center. But Rossi also needs a chance. And a lot of people are complaining. And I don't know, it's, uh, you know, 
one or the other. It's not going to be great. Either Rossi is not on the top line or you break up the top line. At the very beginning, I wasn't sure if we needed to do that because they were functioning well, but now that they're not functioning, do we break up the top line and put Rossi in? I would love to see if that is something they might experiment with in practice tomorrow or uh, in the game on Tuesday. Now, the fourth line is something... Who doesn't love the fourth line? You know, like they say, emotional support fourth liners. I think on the wild, it, it's so hard because we have a lot of them. Um, we have a lot of emotional support fourth liners. We've got the Deweys, Dewar and Duhame. We've got uh, Shaw, who like, we miss you and we'll see you soon, hopefully. And, you know, last year it was Reeves. This year, Maroon, you know, he's been kind of up and down the... the the lineup, and he hasn't quite played the same role that Reeves did, which is a little disappointing because I enjoyed Ryan Reeves as the big baddie who had, you know, Dewar and Shaw as his henchmen. That was kind of a fun fourth line that really, even just that energy was like very driving. But Maroon coming in, he is a little faster than Reeves. He is a little, um, a little more skillful. And he has some good energy. He just doesn't have the same energy. So, so far, it's kind of been a little up in the air as to what the fourth line is all about. Last night was a good example of that. So they kept the Deweys on the fourth line, moved Maroon up to second, and then brought Sammy Walker down to the fourth. I don't think there's much of a world where Sammy Walker is a fourth liner. I think it was a worthy experiment. Because as uh, Coach Gene Evison said, that's that can be a speedy line. Dewar and Duham can be very speedy. And obviously, so is Walker. So I think it was a worthy experiment. But it didn't work out again. That fourth line, they really need to be a little more grinding. And I feel like while Walker is a really hard worker, I wouldn't say that he necessarily is a grinder. So we'll see. Like I mentioned before, they will have to pull somebody up to play there. So I'm assuming Kara will come in, which would be an interesting grinding presence. At the same time, sometimes I don't even know if they can do this, but I think it would be great. So like they send Sammy Walker back. I think it would be great if they were like, surprise, Matt Boldy is all better and he's playing. I don't. Could you do that? I feel like you could. Is there? I don't think there's a rule stopping you, right? Because he's not on uh, long-term injury reserve. You know, obviously you can't do that from there because you have to activate them off of it. But he's just out with just a normal injury. So could you could, like, just surprise. I don't know. Maybe that would just be me because as a coach, I would really, uh, I hate to say a little bit like Pete DeBoer where you're kind of like, you're playing that drama off screen kind of a thing. Um, I feel like I would do that and just for fun. Now, they, we have a couple games here coming up. We've got one more game in the homestand on Tuesday. The Edmonton Oilers are coming to town on Tuesday night. And just last night, Connor McDavid left the game with an injury. Uh, as of right now, when I'm recording this, I have not seen an update other than it is a muscle issue, and it looked like, from what I saw, he was kind of holding his left hip and, and lower back kind of an area. So we don't know, will he be playing? 
will he be out? I don't, to the wild, I feel like that's not too much of an issue because we have Jonas Brodeen. Brodeen is the only defensive player in the league who can keep up with McDavid skating backwards and also shut him down. He is the only one. And he has in the past frustrated McDavid, which is kind of, kind of great to see it. it so there should be somebody who they, who can shut down someone like McDavid. But, you know, if we don't have McDavid to worry about, will that help on the offensive side? Because that is where, well, let's be honest. We needed help on the defensive side too last night. But is that something where we can focus on something else rather than just how do we shut down McDavid? It'll be an interesting look. Uh, Thursday, they start uh, an away, let's see, uh, Pittsburgh Flyers. They'll be in Pittsburgh. And this will be interesting because they will be up against our old buddy, Nicholas Delorier. And I, once again, this is one of my emotional support fourth liners. I love D'Lo. And I was, I don't want to say devastated when he left, but like kind of. He was just so great all around, not only like the physical gritty toughness, but also the personality. A lot of people, a lot of fans don't like when the the good locker room idea gets tossed around, but it is an important ingredient. It's not the end all and be all, but to have a good team, you also need to be good off of the ice. You need to at least get along. You need to have a locker room where people feel comfortable. And where anybody feels like they can say their piece or make a joke or pump other people up, that they can do that. So D'Lo was one of those pieces that I really liked. And I he had one of those stories where, you know, he came, we traded for him. He came in and either the first game or one shortly after that scored a goal. After he had done an interview where he said, you know, they don't bring me in to score goals. I'm not here to score goals. And then he did. And the celebration that he did was in the hype video for the playoffs. This this was two years ago now. But it'll be interesting to see if anything comes of that. So, you know, obviously, I think the only person on the on the wild he'd really would fight would be Maroon. Because everyone else was buddies, you know. It's kind of the same with when we look at Ryan Reeves. The only person that Reeves is going to fight for the most part is Maroon. You know, he's going to be physical. Like we saw when we were in Toronto, he was very physical. And, you know, and I guess, I guess he did fight Foligno. Okay. Back up. I forgot that. It's okay. Everybody forgets things sometimes. That's what I tell my kids. But overall, I feel like Reeves would only start a fight with Maroon. I guess that's a better way to say it because technically Felino was the one that started that fight and felt like he needed to, to fight for Goudreau. Uh, anyway, uh, the, that Friday, then they have a back-to-back that Friday. They are playing the Washington Capitals and I know they've struggled a little bit. I know that it took until the game last night for Alex Ovechkin to uh, get a goal it feels a little bit like all around the league is on a little bit of a struggle bus. And part of that is the salary cap. 
the wild are not the only ones who have played short a few players because of salary cap issues. They are not at all. They are in good company. <laughs> in fact, what was it? The last, was it the Leafs where we ended up losing two more players in the third period to the point where they had 15 skaters. All That's all they had to fill out offense and defense was 15 players. That's a, it's a little ridiculous. And I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to complain about the salary cap right now. But I feel like when it becomes an issue across the league, then it needs to be something that needs to be addressed. So hopefully after this season, when everyone is kind of seeing the effects of that, maybe something will be done. Also, it's the NHL. So nothing will probably be done. But talking about the salary cap, I want to say part of the reason that I wanted to do a podcast is that Minnesota fans, some tend to get very negative. And I feel like there's a way that you can be critical without being so negative, I guess. You you can point out the bad things that they do. Definitely. Gus should not have to make 50 saves in a night. Kaprizov should be scoring more. You know, any of that, that's all very valid. But coming to the point where, oh, we suck. Oh, we suck. You know what? No, it's a hockey team. And if you want to be a fan of a team, I feel like you need to be there for good or bad. Like through all of it, through all of the gunk. There are There is no world in which there's going to be an NHL team who goes 82 and all you, every team is going to have losing games. And as a fan, you need to know how to deal with them. Now, unfortunately, sometimes there's more losing games than winning. And you just have to be critical of the losses and the mistakes that are made, but celebrate the good things and stick with them. A lot of teams who go on to win the Stanley Cup have years beforehand where they struggle and struggle and struggle. And that could be the wild for all we know. They have made the playoffs for three years in a row, despite the fact that there is so much dead money. Both this year and next year, we have $14 million of dead money in our salary. And that's, you know, two good players, like good, great players. That is a couple of mid-tier players that is there's a lot that bill garen could go out and get for 14 million dollars on top of what we already have and i think that's important to keep in mind now we're the state of hockey and i think that's why we really need to stick with our team and others other teams other fans can be critical of the term state of hockey but we need to show them why we are the state of hockey we are there through thick and thin. We have teams from the wild all the way down to, you know, your, your kid's squirt team. We support all of them. We are here for all of them. So here I am closing out my first episode. And here in the state of hockey, I think we also need to focus on being the state of hockey vibes. We need to be positive. We need to be loving, supportive, and also critical when needed. Like we're that is what a good fan is. So I hope that you all will join me in that. Let me know what you think, if you have any questions or anything, because I love to research hockey stuff. I've been working on 
expanding my knowledge of hockey. And I like to try and explain hockey things to people who might not know also, because it is hard to understand an offsides. It is hard to understand icing. It is hard to understand salary cap, long-term injury reserve. These are all like just these crazy ideas. So if there are any things that anyone would want me to try and explain, I would love to do that because I like to research it until I understand it and then be able to tell somebody else about it. Yes, I was a huge nerd in school. Yes, I'm an English major. I'm not sure how you could tell that, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. Also kind of a teacher's pet, but that's okay. Anyway, uh, again, my name is Mickey. I go by Hockey She Wrote on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, You can follow me there and tweet at me, whatever, message me. Anyway, everybody have a good week, and I'll be back next week to talk more about wild hockey.